welcome back to the While We're Waiting Hope After Child Loss podcast. I'm Jill Sullivan, your host and one of the co-founders of the While We're Waiting ministry. Thank you for coming back and joining us again today. I'm pleased today to bring you the second half of my conversation with Millie's mom, Courtney Mount. If you missed last week's episode, I encourage you to go back and listen to hear the story of her sweet and sassy Amelia Joy, who was carried home to heaven by neuroblastoma cancer in July of 2020. You really don't want to miss hearing about her. Today's episode builds on that as we discuss some very practical issues commonly faced by bereaved parents. Grief brain, the one-year mark, parenting our surviving children, dealing with awkward comments by well-meaning people, the importance of gratitude, and finding your smile again. We're going to pick up our conversation right where we left off last week. So the loss of a child changes a parent profoundly at a very deep level. So how do you feel that Millie's homegoing has changed you? That's a tough question, isn't it, Jill? <laughs> it's changed me in two <laughs> different ways. Physically, yeah, it's totally exhausted me. Um, yes. It's caused me to feel like I forget everything that's important. Mm-hmm. It's filled my mind up and kept me from absorbing any new information very easily. It makes me long for slower, quieter days to just sit and be. A lot of times I will sit with my coffee and Millie and I's rocker and just think about this grief walk. The scripture, but Mary kept all these things and pottered them in her heart, Luke 2, 19, stands out to me. We all need to take time to think and feel. You know, sometimes we want to avoid grief, but really grief, we can't avoid it, nor can we sit and wallow in it. And I'm sure I do both at times, but instead we're going to need to use our grief to find comfort for us and for others. And so physically, that's what it's done to me. Um, but spiritually, it's really energized me. I've drawn closer to Jesus than ever before. I've been a busy Christian mama or a busy Christian for any many years. But at the same time, those years as a busy mama of a large household, my spiritual life had gotten pretty dry. I still believed. I prayed. But the sweet fellowship with Jesus was lacking. Church was so hard with so many little people. Um, Rather than being a beautiful time to worship, I remember um, taking Millie to church and feeding her dumb, dumb suckers. And I would feed her one and say, don't bite it, crunch. She'd bite it. Feed her the second one, don't bite it, crunch. The third one, she bit it. And then she fell asleep. And I told the pastor, whew, today's sermon was three dum-dums and a nap. Because she was so hard to sit through church with her. Sure. Um, And I look back on that and I think, you know what, Jill, she was probably sick then. And I probably didn't know it. But she was a tough baby in times like Mm -hmm. that. Um, Mm -hmm. My personal Bible study time only happened when I was already so tired. I needed to be sleeping. You know, that feeling when you're holding your Bible and you're just nodding off and dropping things. and yes. I need, you know, I would start to pray at night and I giggle and it's not really funny, but I start at the top child and work my way down. The next night I'd start at the bottom child and work my way up, but I'd always fall asleep right in the middle. And so child number five needed more prayer. So I had to start in the middle one day just to make sure I covered her. Just to to try to even it out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, Once Millie went to heaven, I was drawn to seek in the face of Jesus again. 
my comfort comes from his word, from music that I worship him, and from the promise of heaven. Being filled with those things also causes me want to share Jesus like never before. You know, as a stay-at-home homeschool mama, I wasn't going to the lady at Walmart and telling her, you should know about Jesus. I wasn't seeking people out very heavily. But now it's so important that they know the bigger picture. Yes. Levi Lesko said in the Through the Eyes of a Lion, the one book about grief that I've been able to read over the last year, the more we hurt, the louder we become. This is why, though it's tempting, you must not be selfish with your pain. The thing that God deposits in your spirit in the midst of suffering are the same things that someday other people will desperately need. Yes. And that's so true. It is you know, so that's true. what I hear. Mm-hmm. I hear that from you. I hear that on the other podcast I've listened to. I need to know that it's going to be okay as I walk through this. Mm-hmm. Um, people need the hope. And although the grief is hard, it's excruciatingly hard. I, I don't even think that that's a huge word that I still don't think gives adequate feeling to it. Yes. Um, but they need to know they can survive and even have joy in their life again. It's mm-hmm. interesting, both Millie's middle name and Hannah's middle name were joy. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about that. The, our girls were such joy. Yes. Doesn't mean they were perfect. Doesn't mean they weren't naughty at times. When exactly. I said earlier, she's sassy. She was sassy. <laughs> but she brought <laughs> great joy. Um, yeah. The other side of that is that joy will always have a tinge of sadness over it. Yes. it will. There will be joy. And we have to allow ourselves to feel that joy without guilt. But we also have to know it's okay to be a little sad. Um, We had a grandson that was due to be born just a few days before Millie's fourth birthday. Now, that would have been November of 2020. Millie died in July of 2020. So she would ask her sister-in-law. It's funny. She has sister-in-laws, you know. And she had nieces and nephews that were older than her. (laughs) Um, But she would ask her sister-in-law, can I hold your baby when he comes out of your tummy? And our answer to her was always, if the Lord is willing. I remember one time she asked me, what does that mean? And I said, it means if Jesus lets you, if you're here. But we had to answer her that way because we couldn't promise Jill that she would still be here to meet that baby. And she wasn't. She never got to hold him. When she went to heaven in July, he came in November. His birth was such a joyful event. We were so excited. That was grandbaby number six. And yet I told his mom ahead of time, if I cry when I hold him, please just understand. I'm thinking about Millie and about her wanting to hold that baby and how much she loved him. And that's what I mean when I say grief is, has joy, but it's tinged with sorrow. Mm. Um, lastly, I think a way it's changed me is it's given me great compassion for people who are hurting. I've tried to develop ears that can hear their pain and set my own pain aside to minister to them instead. I first try to practice this with my little children. Um, As children are prone to do, they ask questions about death. And usually those questions are awkward and most of the time inappropriate. (laughs) That's how they process. Um, I have So right now I have a 7-year-old and a 10-year-old in my house still. And I let them know that all their questions are okay. And I'll try to find an answer. Then in my mind, I have to remember that right now I'm not a grieving mama who's going to be hurt by their words. Right now I'm their mama 
and I have to meet their needs. And so here's where I have to lay down my grief and I have to comfort them. One of our recent conversations while driving in the van was, Mom, do coffins have locks? Very innocently ask. But I could see where this conversation was heading. Um, I honestly admitted, I really don't know. But I'd look it up and get back to my son. And then I led with, why do you want to know? Well, he says, I wondered if we could go to the cemetery and just open Millie's grave up. Mm. Again, he's so little. He's processing his grief. The only way he knows. Sure. I had to lean into this conversation, Jill. I can't choose to be offended or hurt. This baby needs his mama. So I reminded him, just as we're all made from dust, we go back to dust. Millie no longer needed that earthly body that betrayed her. She's not there. She's perfect in heaven. And then we start talking about all the things like, what do you think she'll look like now? Do you think she's still bald? Do you think she has blonde curls again? What do you think she's doing? One day we talked about, do you think she could be going to a rodeo in heaven? And we agreed that there's probably not rodeos in heaven because they wouldn't be very exciting if the bulls couldn't hurt you or, you know, right? any yeah. of that kind of stuff. But, you know, we talk and we make death and grieving normal rather yes. than making it taboo. Yes. I think that's so important for kids. So, but all of that to say, it's not that I don't cry and grieve with my children. I do, but I do it in a time when we're all missing her, when we're all sad and we just want a few minutes to cry and and just say, you know, we miss Millie today. I believe that those certain, there are certain times I just have to lay my grief aside and minister to my kids. Yes. Oh, I think that's so wise. And I love how you've made it very comfortable for them to talk about their grief and ask questions and, and that you, I like how you said that you kind of thought through the rodeo thing together and came to the conclusion, well, no, you know, since the bulls wouldn't want to, you know, wouldn't be able to hurt people in heaven. I think that's great. I love that. We often have parents come to retreats that have younger children that they're parenting through grief. And, you know, our daughter was a teenager already, a young teenager. But, you know, I'm, I'm at a loss on how to help people know how to kind of work with their younger children through grief. So you've given some great pointers, I think. Um, Thank you for that. I appreciate that. You're welcome. It's a learning experience. (laughs) Yes. Well, you know, this whole thing, the whole grief journey is a learning experience. There's not a manual you get at the beginning. And, you know, for everybody, it's different. And so it's just something you have to learn as you go. You know, sometimes... (laughs) Sometimes we do better than others, and that's okay. Um, but we have to lean on the Lord, and, and we both know that, and that's how we get through. Thankfully, He gives us grieving parents a lot of grace. Yes, He does. Absolutely. You just passed the one-year mark of Millie's homegoing last month. What was that like for you? Yes, we passed it on July 8th of 2021. And from about June 25th, to July 7th, every single day got heavier. Um, a little more dread filled my spirit. Yes. Thoughts that it um, felt like it'd been a lifetime since I'd held my baby girl. And yet that year went by just in a breath. Um, we had tried to keep that day open. Yes. Thinking, you know, I don't know if we really want to go anywhere. Do we want to be around people? 
I don't know. It was a hard decision. Um, earlier in the spring, my husband had suggested we go away on a trip, and I couldn't bear the thought of it. I thought, what if we get somewhere and I need to be alone and mm-hmm. and we're with these our children out in public? I needed home. I needed safety. And so we decided we would stay home. And um, each moment, the anticipation of that coming day just had me a little more emotional, you know, a lot of tears. Um, on July 7th, the night before the one-year anniversary, I feel like I struggled the most. The feeling like mm-hmm. I was now finished with that whole year of first. We passed her first birthday, our first Christmas without us, family vacation, school year. But the big one that really stuck to me was a year ago that day was the last time I had rocked her. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. When I woke up on her heaven day, I laid in bed and I just cried. It was okay. I needed to cry. I let out some of the grief that still desperately misses my sweet, sassy three-year-old. And then I reminded myself what my wise husband had said a few days before. He had told me her heaven day is not any harder than any other day. They're all hard. Yeah. That's like a relief because I had built it up so big. But yeah, that day was hard and we missed her terribly. But it wasn't any different than the day before when we missed her terribly or the one two weeks later where we still missed her terribly. Um, We took our family out to the cemetery for a few minutes. We placed some fresh flowers, a little metal sign on her grave that said, we'll miss you until heaven. Mm. We don't go to the cemetery much. Um, We don't decorate it very often. And I know some families go frequently and, you know, we each have to do it differently. But for me, it's solely a place to remember how much I miss her. Yes. I can do that at home, surrounded by my happy memories, her things that I love. And and I miss her so much, but she's not there, Jill. That right. body, that cancer-ridden body mm-hmm. is there, but she's not. And I, exactly. I find so much joy in knowing that she's with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm glad you talked about that anticipation of that day and how hard that was, just building up every day towards that heaven day. Um, Because I I know for me personally, that was the case. I dreaded it, especially that first heaven day, so, so much and built it up like you did so much in my mind. And then when I actually got there, it was like, yeah, this is bad, but it's not any worse than any other day. And I think that's helpful for people who are still in that first year who haven't gotten to that mark yet to realize that the anticipation for so many of these things, even holidays for me, was always worse than the actual day. Um, And so it's kind of freeing maybe to know that. And I know everybody's different, so that may not be the case for everyone. But for the majority of people we talk to, that is the case. So I do think it's freeing to know and and to have that expectation that the anticipation is probably going to be worse than the day. Yes, the dread just settles on you. Oh, yeah. And it's almost it's like, heavy. Yeah, and on that day, you can just release that and yeah. know that, oh, okay, I can still breathe. It's not right. great, but I can still breathe. Right, exactly. Yeah, I think that's important for people to know. So you mentioned a little bit, you kind of referred to grief brain or some things that I think of when I think of grief brain a little while ago. Um, Talk about that a little bit. Exactly what 
what type of grief brain or issues that, that you've had with that? Well, I'd like to joke and tell you, I don't remember what issues I have because that's how foggy I am, but um, I've always <laughs> had a, a good memory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can remember names and faces. We'll go out to dinner and I'll tell my husband, I know that person. And it might've been 25 years, but I know that person from somewhere. Um, wow. Small details are things I retain easily. If I've read it in a book, I know it. I love random facts that I can spout them off until grief hit. Now I struggle to keep my focus on the daily amount of info that I need. My children, especially my teens, frequently say, you're not listening as they try to tell me all the information about their friends and their activities. And I try so hard, like I'm looking at them, I'm trying to absorb it, and it just doesn't soak in. Um, that's been a real point of contention because they really feel like I've checked out in a lot of ways. But Mm -hmm. I think of it like my cup is so full. There's so much in here and anything you pour on top just runs over the sides in a way. And I'm trying to retain it. I'm trying so hard because I need to be, I need to be fully present. And yet it's a struggle. It's such a struggle. My husband will say, I've told you that. And I'm like, well, if you didn't tell me in a text message, it didn't happen because I can't, I have to be able to go back and look. Um, So we have a group, family group text where people can text all. You have to put the full information down because I'm not agreeing to anything. Or I might even tell you I didn't agree to it until I can see it on the text and go, oh, yeah, I did. Right. Um, Right. I've also struggled to read books since Millie left. I kind of refer to that. A lot of people mailed me grief books. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of wonderful ones. And I've tried. The ones I do the best with are one-page devotionals. Yes. Or the mm-hmm. Levi Lesko book really grabbed me. It was really mm-hmm. good. And probably because it was about him sharing his faith, even in the midst of his heartache. Yes. That's what really stuck out to me. Um, I do better with podcasts. So I keep up with all of your podcasts. I keep up with some of the other ones that I really enjoy following. And I do great with short tidbits, stuff I can read on the internet that takes less than a moment or two to read. I can do that still. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how it impacts you physically. Emotion. I mean, you expect the emotional part, but the physical and mental part and intellectual part of grief is, um, I did not expect. So I think it's helpful for people to know that the grief brain, it's just part of it. We'd like to tell people you're not crazy. You're just grieving. And, you know, it it sticks with you for a while. I, I asked somebody one time, how long can I blame grief brain for this poor memory and, and not not keeping things in focus and that kind of thing. And she said she was farther down the road than I was. And she, she said, as long as you need to. <laughs> so, you know, that's grief good. brain is a real thing. And, um, and just to know that it's okay to have that and that that's just part of it. And it sounds like you've kind of come to terms with that yourself. And you figured out some ways that work for you, like the text, the family text message. Um, I think that's part of it is figuring out strategies where you can live with grief brain. Absolutely. And I think that's a good strategy for teenagers anyway. That way they can't go, dad said, mom said, oh, it's in a group text. We all know what dad said, you know, or we know what mom said. And so, yeah, it's just been a good policy for us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sounds like it's worked well. 
So one of the hardest questions for a parent to answer after the loss of a child is how many children do you have? I know that as the mom of a large family, you get asked that question probably more often than most people. And I know you're only a year into this. So have you figured out how to handle that question in a way that works for you? I guess like everyone, I weigh my words. I weigh them carefully when I go somewhere. If I want a quick interaction, I'll say, we have nine children, three adults, three teens, three littles. For now, because Millie's passing is so recent, that still works. She's forever three. So I can say, you know, my kids are 30 to three. However, I have a very smart little man that follows behind me and will tell random strangers, mom, don't you remember that Millie passed away and turned four in heaven? I'm like, thank you, son. I can take care of this conversation myself. So I sometimes laugh when I think when I'm 60 or 80 and I'll still be saying, and I have a three-year-old, you know, that's going to be kind of awkward. I'll have to change it. Right. You have to figure Um, out what to do then. Yeah. That's right. But we don't often have the struggle with people looking at our family and counting the children anymore because Mm -hmm. so many of them are grown. Right. So we don't show up as a large family. If you'd seen us 10 years ago and walked into church with seven, eight, nine kids, you know, it was a different family. Sure. But today when we walk in, we climb out of our white 12 passenger van and it's me and my second grader and my fourth grader. And it's almost humorous, you know, that we drive right. this huge car and just ride up front. And uh, my husband did suggest that we sell the van. Mm-hmm. And I said, no, I can't. Um, it's too much of a death of a vision for me. Yeah. So many things in my life died when Millie died. Yes. Um, I had diapers. We no longer had diapers, car seats, homeschool supplies. This year as I was getting ready for school and I'm pulling out, putting away the kindergarten, the first grade stuff, I'm thinking, I should sell these. Jill, I put them back on the shelf. Yeah. I'm not ready to sell them. Right. I just, I'm never going to use those again. It just is amazing to me to still wrap my brain around the things that are gone and the things that you don't think about, you know, everybody says, oh, I can't wait to get a pie trained. Like, I was sad that I had to sell the potty chair. I had to, you know, and I have grandchildren and I've shared so much of Millie's things with my grandchildren. Sure. I'm grateful when they can use them, you know, but it it's still hard to go from being a mama of a little child mm-hmm. to now your youngest is seven. So I frequently say to the answer of how many children do you have or how old's your youngest? I'll say my youngest in the house is seven. The in the house phrase is wonderful because I have people that live out of the house. Yeah. I have people that live in the house and I have people that live in heaven. And so my youngest is seven in the house. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a good solution. Um, Most days though, (laughs) most days I will share with others about Millie. I'll say, we have nine, but our youngest went to heaven last summer. And of course, they're going to express sympathy. And I'm going to give a few details to settle their mind because, you know, people's minds race. I wonder what happened. I wonder, you know, so I'll just say, you know, she passed away from cancer and see where the conversation goes. But in doing so, I've had so many people share their own stories of loss with me. And it opens the door for me to share how Jesus walks with me through the loss. You know, everybody has that age old you're so strong. I could never do what you do. And in the cancer world, you hear that. And yes. I wanted to politely scream, what do you mean you could never do what I do? Would you just let your child die? 
Right. You could do what I do. But yes. in the grief world, I just have to say, you know what? It's not me that's strong. It's Jesus. That's I right. just have to lean on him. That's right. Because that is the truth. That is the truth. We could not do this on our own. We have to lean on him. When, when people would say that to us, you're so strong. You're so strong. And I would always say, no, we are very weak. But we serve a strong God. And we lean on him. And that's where our strength comes from. Um, because there's, there, is, there is no way that you can walk this journey um, without his strength. I couldn't have. That's for sure. Yes, me neither. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So people often feel awkward around a parent that has lost a child because they just don't know what to say. So how do you deal with things that people say that maybe aren't necessarily helpful? And then what are some of the most helpful things people have said or done? I, when I talk about this question, I always kind of, you know, we have to hit on the negative because there are, there are some things that are said that are really difficult to hear as a grieving parent. But at the same time, there are so many wonderful things and, and wonderful things that people do and say. So I, I really kind of like to keep this towards the positive. But we know that there are difficult things to say. So how, how do you deal with that when people say things that are, that are hurtful, unintentionally hurtful? Well, I believe every grieving parent hears things that are not at all helpful. Um, sometimes these things even heap guilt on us. People don't even realize they're saying things that are just really smacking you in the face. Yes. I've had a few people comment on our blog or they like to private message me and they let me know that they believe that childhood cancer is caused by vaccine usage. Oh, no. I always love that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. First off, I have to take that deep breath. Okay. Um, I start off by thanking them for their concern because, Jill, I always want to be polite Yes. I tell them, however, Millie never had a vaccine, gratefully, so I don't have to live under that guilt. Right. But then I go into teaching by gently saying, I would caution you to never tell a grieving parent what you think they did that mm -hmm. might have caused their child's death, even if it's the truth. Mm -hmm. Even if vaccines cause every childhood cancer, don't tell me that if you think yeah. I gave it to her and that's what caused her to die. Right. Um, we can't change the past. And so those things are better left unsaid. Yes. I think it's also extremely important for me to be loving and Christ-like while I walk out my grief. Yes. I want to point others to Jesus. And so my life has to be filled with grace for these people who don't have any idea what we've walked through. Right. I have to remind myself, praise God, they don't know. Yes. They don't know this sorrow. And I would never want someone else to have to go through this. Then I am also reminded of all the dumb remarks I've made to my grieving friends before yes. I became a grieving parent. Um, something else that stands out to me is, like I said about the children earlier, I have to take time and step out of the grieving parent role when I meet somebody that makes a dumb statement. When they want to say to me, oh, I'm, I know how you feel. My dog died last year. I remind myself quickly, we're not talking about my child. We're talking about your dog. So then I can say, I am so sorry you lost your dog. I am so sorry your great aunt, who was 94, died. I am so sorry that you understand grief. Mm. But in my mind, I can say, but we're not talking about Millie. Yeah. And that helps me put that safety barrier up that my heart doesn't have to ache with the things they say. Mm. 
that's so wise and that shows so much grace that has never occurred to me to do that, to think, okay, like you said, kind of putting your grief aside and saying, we're not talking about Millie right now. We're not talking about Hannah right now. We're talking about this person's need and her grief. And boy, that changes the whole perspective on it and makes it so much easier to deal with. Um, I love that. Thank you for that. I'm going to keep that in mind. You're and welcome. share that with others. Mm-hmm. I think as a hurting, well, as a hurting society, we all have grief. We all have pain. Of course. So we yes. have to be willing to acknowledge that in other people too. Definitely. Right. Mm-hmm. Everybody's pain is their pain. So, you know, whatever is the worst thing they've been through, that's the worst thing they've been through. And we need to give them grace for that. So thank you. Yes. You ask about the most helpful things someone's done. And it's to seek me out and say, I understand because I have lost a child also. Mm -hmm. And then we talk. We share about our kids, just like you and I are doing right now. It bonds us as forever friends, as we're willing to be transparent about our hurts, our sorrows, but also our joy. We're letting someone else see into the depths of our heart because we know they can be trusted with our pain. Yes. I was really blessed um, last year to get to attend a mom's retreat while we're waiting mom's retreat in Springdale, Arkansas. And before I ever pulled up to the door of Michelle's house, I had listened to her podcast. And because Mm -hmm. she transparently shared her son Joshua's life, I walked into her home and I knew her Mm -hmm. and I knew she understood. Um, I learned so many things at that retreat that I didn't know as a grieving parent. You know, you think you are a grieving parent, you know it, but there's still so much to learn all the time. I didn't know that in your mind, your child would always be the age they were when they died. Mm -hmm. Millie was still three at that point. So I didn't know yet. I asked one mama there, how old would your child be now? And she said, I don't know. She's always 30. Yeah. Now I understand that, Jill. I can't think of Millie turning five in November. She'll always be three. Yes. But I just didn't know. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't know how healing it was to have others listen to our story. Mm -hmm. As we went around that circle, And we intently listened to each of those mamas share their hearts and their babies. And some of them had never shared before. Right. It was so healing. And then I didn't know that we could speak life into others by encouraging them to lay down their guilt that we carry as mamas. Because every one of us regrets something we did, whether it was during the dying, whether it was the raising them, or it's since then, there's some regrets And so if we speak life into each other, um, it just points us back to Jesus. And uh, I made a really sweet mama friend at that retreat. And our stories are totally different. Her child's an adult. My child's a baby. You know, stories are totally different. It didn't matter. Our hearts are bonded forever. There's something special about that bond that happens between bereaved parents. And it does not matter how different our stories are. That bond is is instantaneous and it is lasting, and um, that's just so special. And that's that's one of the beautiful things that comes out of these retreats that we do are those bonds that the parents form with one another and that we form with them. And it's just such a gift, such a joy from that. 
So you're still really new on this journey of grief. You know, a year out is still so new. But if you were talking to somebody that was just in that first week or the first month, what would you say to that that mom or that dad, that parent? I would say, for me, don't allow yourself to walk so close to the edge of the pit. And what I mean by the pit is that black hole of grief that threatens to suck us in and drown us. There's days when I feel like I'm standing at the top edge. My toes are hanging over. And there's some unknown evil that's just waiting to grab me by the ankles and drag me in. I have to turn to Jesus on those days. I have to turn to his word. Important, I have to rest and recharge. Jill, on the days I'm tired, I don't handle grief well at all. Exactly. I have to take one day at a time, one moment. But I have to give myself the space to say, you know what? I just can't do that today. Let me sit in my chair and drink my coffee and don't talk to me. And it's okay. I mean, I still have to feed the children. I still have to do, but, but I don't have to be everything to everybody. Right. And I do have to put my grieving at a place that I'm going to be able to recharge. Um, I'd also say, share your grief with others. Honestly, if they don't want to hear it, and there are people that do not want to hear it, um, they can't function with it. They don't want to know about it. Then you go find somebody that does. Mm. That might be a support group. It might be another grieving parent, might be journaling. I know some parents write letters to their children. For me, it was blogging. Mm -hmm. And I have to blog the way I talk, real, raw, realistically, whatever's in my heart, it just comes bubbling out. And then I have to edit, 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 because it comes out in a crazy mess. But (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have to get my feelings out. And even if no one wants to listen, then writing helps me do that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's important to know. When you hear the phrase, it gets easier with time, that that doesn't mean they're telling you you're going to forget your child Mm -hmm. or you're going to forget the life you led together. Rather, it means it gets easier to carry the burden and still go on with your life. You didn't die with your child, Mm -hmm. so you still have to live life and you got to figure out how to carry it. You'll have a day when you cry less, you breathe more, and you remember all the good stuff. You're going to have a day you can smile through your tears you're still going to cry, but you can find that smile in there. That's right. And the greatest thing that helped me, even from the very beginning through cancer on, was being thankful. Um, I try to write down things I'm thankful for. I'm thankful I got the privilege to be Millie's mama. Mm-hmm. I'm thankful we had her in our life for three years. I'm thankful we got to teach her about Jesus and that we got to be there to walk her to heaven. I'm so thankful for a Savior who loves me and walks beside me as he bears my burden of this. I'm incredibly grateful for my husband who is a rock, even as he walks through his own grief. Mm -hmm. Yeah, being thankful really makes a difference too for me. Just changing your perspective from all that you've lost and all of the things that you wish weren't a part of your life to the things that we do still have and the things we are grateful for. And like we were talking about, we are grateful for our girls, even though we've suffered a lot of pain and sorrow. We're so thankful, each of us, I know I'm speaking for both of us, that God gave us the girls that he gave us, even though we had to go through that cancer journey. I would do it all again, and I think you would too. I absolutely would. And I have a little story that goes along with that. When my husband and I had been married a few years, we had three children 
We were 21 years old with three babies, and everyone gave us wise advice. You should take care of that. And so we did. We followed that advice because that was the wise thing to do. We weren't going to have any more babies. We were going to live life, raise those up. About five years afterwards, the Lord started pricking our heart. Children are a blessing, and I want to give you more children. Are you willing to accept them? And we prayed and we prayed, and we went and sought to have a reversal surgery. And we did. And then the Lord allowed, just a year later, for our fourth baby to be born. And we were ecstatic. Everyone was excited. Then two years later, the fifth one came. We got a little nervous because now we're just barely 30 and we have five children. And two years later, the sixth one came. About three years later, the seventh, then the eighth, then the ninth. Mm -hmm. Jill, what a blessing. We could have missed all this pain with Millie if we'd not had that reversal. Right. You know, we, we wouldn't have had this. And look what we would have missed out on. Mm-hmm. Look at the joys we would have missed out on. Yes, we would have missed the sorrow, but it makes me think of that Garth Brooks song. I could have missed the pain, but I've missed the dance. Mm-hmm. And I would much rather live life with Millie for three years than to miss all of that. Yes. Well, and you know you have eternity to look forward to with her. So your time with her, yes. even though it was so short here on earth, it's you've got a lot of time with her to look forward to. Um, my friend Joy, she just loves to say the best is yet to come. And as good as our time was with our girls, the best is yet to come. And that's so exciting to think about. Yes, it is. What have you learned about God through this cancer journey and now grief journey? I've learned so many lessons, but the biggest one, I think that God's faithful to his promises. When every bit of it looks hopeless, it's lost. I can still trust him. He's truly all I need. You know, you think of Job when he lost everything. He finally came back to realize God was what he needed. Yes. And that's where I am. Um, I don't want to lose any more children, you know, but Lord, Lord, you are what I need. I need to focus in the right place to let the rest of it fall into the right place. Absolutely. Very good. Thank you. So how can listeners find your blog if they want to follow your journey? I am most active on a Facebook page called Millie's Miracle 2020. Mm -hmm. I try to um, personally write there two or three times a week now. In the early parts of grief, I wrote there every day, sometimes two or three times a day. Um, But I've kind of slowed down because I have some other projects I'm working on. Um, I also have started an Instagram account that I rarely, but sometimes, move some of my posts over there and a blog spot by the same name. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get everything kind of cohesive, but I do the most amount of work on Facebook. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll put a link to that in the show notes so people can find it easily. So is there anything else you'd like to share before we go? Yes. Um, all of this journey, being so much of writing and writing my heart, has led me to want to write books, crazily enough. Um, some of, One of the books I want to write or have written, but it's not printed yet, is a children's book about walking your child to heaven with the intention of this being used in a hospice setting where parents need to explain death and heaven to their child. Um, some of the things I told Millie when she was passing away, right before she died, I said, you know, soon you'll get to meet Jesus. Soon you're going to get to go to heaven where there's no cancer. You know, just trying to reassure it's a good thing, not a scary thing. Yes, exactly. And this book also 
walks through that. So I'm hoping it'll be a good resource for parents and medical staff alike. Right now it's in the illustration phrase. I'm really having a hard time finding someone who wants Mm -hmm. to illustrate it. And then I'm so dumb about all the procedures that I'm just trying to bumble through making that work. But um, I've also been writing Millie's story in an adult devotional, the impact of her miracle. And I hope that hope to have it edited by the end of the year. That's been a huge process, but I've, gone back through the Facebook page, which was a great documentation of everything we walked through and yeah, made it into a, a format that not only shows God working in our lives, but also how you can apply that to your life. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, you may have to come back on the podcast once those are published, and we'll talk about those a little bit. Um, I think both of those are going to be great resources for people. I love the idea of having a book about walking a child to heaven um, because that's something you never, you're certainly not prepared for. You certainly don't expect to do in your life, especially with your, with your young child. And so what a resource that will be. I'm glad you're doing that. I wish I would have had that. <laughs> 13 years oh, I hope ago it'll now. be a blessing. Yes. Um, I, I we weren't given anything like that. No. So the things that, you know, the things that we knew to do were just to talk. Just like we'd always talked and taught. But, you know, I think towards the end, Millie knew Mm -hmm. it was time. Mm -hmm. She would say, just take me home. Just take me to my home. Mm -hmm. And so she didn't want to be at the hospital anymore. And to begin with, she was always excited to be at the hospital. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, God prepares our children, the ones that walk slowly towards heaven. He prepares them and they know when it's time. Yes. I've always said that God gives these kids with cancer a special grace um, because you could just see it. You could see it all over them. And um, that's just that's really special to me. Well, thank you so much for coming on and for sharing your story and telling us about Millie. People need to come and, and read your blog go to your Facebook page with your blog just so they could see pictures of Millie. Um, Absolutely. They can't miss that sweet smile and her little monkey and her green boots. (laughs) Yes. And that little bald head. She just, she just rocked that look, you know, she's just precious, just precious. Thank you. You know, when we, I get to, when I get to hear about these kids and kind of learn about them, I, I begin to love them, you know, and I just feel like I love yes. Millie already and I can't wait to meet her in heaven. And I hope that, that she and Hannah have met. I don't know how all of that works in heaven, but um, I love the thought of the two of them meeting and, and uh, getting to know each other and spending time together because their, their journey was actually very similar, even though they were different ages. Um, but it has been such a blessing to get to know you and to get to know Millie through you. And I appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Thank you, Jill, again, for allowing me to share Millie's life, her miracle, and God's story. I appreciate Amen. it. Yep, that's what it's all about. It is God's story, and we're just part of it. And it's so helpful to me to know that Hannah's story was not about Hannah. And Millie's story was not about Millie. It's ultimately about God, and it's His story. And it is... I wish it was any other way, but it is an honor and a privilege to be able to be a part of his story and that he used our girls in in his story. So thank you again for coming on and, and sharing your part of his story. Thank you, Jill. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. We hope it brought you some comfort and encouragement today and maybe made you feel a little less alone on the journey. Please subscribe so you'll never miss an episode and and maybe leave us a rating in iTunes to help others find the podcast. Again, we're glad you spent a few minutes with us today. It's a blessing to walk beside you as we seek to live well while we're waiting.